Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to talk about various subjects. However, I want to talk briefly about the antidote for all the issues that we might actually need to see Jesus undo. And I haven't mastered this antidote, but I think it's biblically supported and we see it in the life of Christ. So uh, I don't know if you can see this from where you are, if we have a picture of this. I don't know if we, if we do or we don't, but... Um, Humility. This is a book that was written by Andrew Murray. He was born in the early 1700s, uh, maybe 1800s, because he died in, in uh, 1917. So if it was 1700s, he lived quite a while. <laughs> he was a Dutch Reformed uh, missionary to South Africa. And uh, this book, I encourage you to buy it. I don't know how many we have left. I think we're down to a handful, but they're only five bucks a piece. But if you want to blow up your walk with God in a good way, get the book, read the book, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about humility. If I didn't say it at the beginning of a little plug for the book, let me say it now. Uh, I am nowhere close to being uh, the man of humility that God wants me to be. So if you, if you buy one... Um, it's not an indictment on your walk with Jesus. It's a hunger and a desire to be more like Jesus. So get yourself a, get yourself a copy. Today I want to talk about something that I think Jesus would undo. I know he's been working in, on undoing this in my life for a long time. It's a very, uh, it's not a passive subject. We're going to talk about spiritual pride and I'll give a working definition for us in this context today. That's when we find value, meaning, significance, uh, and significance in ourselves and our own religious performance or our activity level. And uh, even though that's noble and good that we would want to be some degree of self-sufficiency, when we gain uh, a sense of value and worth, on anything but the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're making a huge mistake and we're setting ourselves up to fall. In fact, speaking of falling, uh, you guys probably all know Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before the destruction or before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let me tell you a story about my haughty spirit. Pam and I are married. I'm not too sure how many years we were. We had four kids. We never went out to dinner because you can't afford to feed kids when you go out to dinner. So we went to a fancy restaurant. You actually sat down at this restaurant. You ordered a meal. And before we got there, it was about a 17-minute drive. I had this habit, terrible habit, habit, because it was so important for me that my family performed the way that I thought a family should perform. So I would lecture them before I launched into the lecture of how my kids were going to carry themselves and the kind of decorum they would have in a public setting. Pam would say, Tom, remember, they're just children. In other words, don't be your normal abrasive self. <laughs> and 
And uh, I, I probably didn't listen to her as well as I should have because five minutes after we, I'm talking to them like, just sit still, don't hit stuff, don't knock things over, don't call your, your siblings the names you usually call them at home, just don't do that stuff. Sure enough, like everything's there and everybody's pumped because we're eating. And somehow I managed in my arrogance as a dad to flick my baked potato from my plate across the table and it wiped out three water glasses in the process. <laughs> now I'm all for Jesus making me more like him, but don't do it in front of my kids or in a public setting. <laughs> what would Jesus undo? Uh, I think it's spiritual pride because it will lead to a, a fall. My father was not a follower of Christ. He was a delightful man. Um, uh, he passed away when he was uh, 54 years old. So I was like in my mid-20s. But he would always tell me one of the most loving things you can do uh, when you address a person, especially if it has a little confrontational edge, is to look them in the eye and be humble and be honest and simply share uh, the truth. Now, I would add this caveat because I don't think everything that we think is true in our brains needs to be said to someone. So I didn't give you license to say anything, anytime, in whatever manner you want. What I'm saying is there are times when an eye-to-eye -eye conversation and forthrightness is critical. Today, uh, Jesus Christ, through the power and the authority of his word, is going to look each of us in the eye of our spirit, and there might be a bit of truth-telling on his part. Are you open for the Spirit of God to work in your mind, in your heart, in your life, so that somehow, maybe after spending a half hour uh, together today, you'll look a little bit more like Jesus? Are you game for that? Okay, it's not always comfortable, so here we go. There's this story in Luke 18, beginning in verse 9 and the verses following, where Jesus talks about two guys who go to the same place to do the same thing. Um, one's a Pharisee, uh, yay, say yay, good guy, yay, good guy. One hand clapping, whatever you want to do. One is a tax collector, say boo, bad guy, boo, bad guy. They go to the temple, in today's context, we might say, you know, church or whatever, and they're going to do the same thing, and they're actually going to pray, and Jesus tells us what they pray, and then he says at the end of the story that one of those that prayed left the temple, left the assembly, justified before God, and the other one, not so much. I kind of want to look at the one that was justified and the not so much one to see if the Lord can speak to me about the importance of humility. Verse nine reads this way. Then Jesus told this story to some. I'm not gonna elaborate on that, but he wasn't talking to everybody, but there were some people as he was telling this parable who needed to hear this truth. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. 
So Jesus addresses the people in the crowd who have a problem where their confidence and their trust and their faith is in their own religious accomplishments instead of in one greater than, one beyond them, the Messiah himself. Now, before we go much further, I'm certain you guys are all so godly that you never, ever struggle with thinking that God's pretty lucky to have you on his team. I, I do that sometimes. And then it's like, really? You are so fortunate that he scooped low enough to actually reach you, Tom. That's how I need to say. Jesus goes on, verse 10 says this, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. So we got the two men, they're going to the actual visible presence of God, the temple. One's a Pharisee, yeah, good guy, he's respected, he's pious, he probably has a flowing robe, and my guess is he kind of stands like this. I'm thinking he does. And he's committed to memory all 613 Levitical laws. And by the time he was 12, maybe 13, he had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. So this dude's like way smarter than me. And he's cool. He's got it going on. He's religious. He is. I don't know. Is there something I'm doing that's causing this to go out? Okay. All right. I just, I can't hear it. Times. Maybe, maybe I should warm my I don't know. Okay, it doesn't matter. Just yell louder and it'll be gooder. So, the Pharisee, kind of like what we might do with, uh, oh, he or she's the pastor, and here we stand. Or the Bible scholar, we've got one of those in our midst, maybe a number of those. The Pharisees. The pastors, the Bible scholars, they got it going on. Then you got the tax collector. Now, in some translations, it says despised tax So we have, the, we have the good guy and the bad guy in the temple or at church. They're together. Verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood by himself, kind of distanced himself a little bit. He didn't like the vibe of the people around him. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And I'm going to do it in a Pharisaical voice. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. The cheaters, sorry, I had to look at somebody. The liars, <laughs> the sinners, the adulterers. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. See, this is a big deal because really the law only required them to fast once a year. And he's like, he has got it going on and God is really fortunate to have him on the squad. So I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So the Pharisee said, oh, thank you, God, and uh, that I always do the right things, and my religious performance, my activity is mwah, and I'm better than the rest. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Now, the Pharisee wasn't really completely wrong. I mean, he had some good things going on. Let's give him that. That's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a great education and flowing robes and all that kind of stuff. But instead of realizing 
that everything that he had was a gift from God, he actually thought, and you can hear it in his prayer, that he was a gift to God. Troubling. And before we look down our noses at this guy, which I kind of like to do, I'm going, what a buffoon. I would never. <laughs> Problem is, I'm that guy sometimes, and it just drives me crazy. Maybe some of you are. I, I don't know. Instead of showing up in a caforium, whatever that is, and worshiping God and being grateful that God has put us part of a community, the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people, where God is moving, we show up. Nobody knows it, though, but we show up, plop down in the chair, and it's like, <clears throat> let us begin. For I am here. I know, again, there's, I'm just preaching to myself. I totally get this. You see, spiritual pride falsely promises three things. Number one, self-sufficiency. I got this. Would you say those three words with me? I got this. It's like, you know where I'm going with this, so you don't even want to move your lips. I, I got We come to that place where it's like, I'm self-sufficient. I got it going on. I don't need anyone else, which leads to self-importance, another false promise, where I'm actually valuable. Now, don't misunderstand me, but before we fully understand the power of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, we have got to grasp how depraved we are. We've got to understand that. Because if we don't know how messed up we are, it's pretty tough to trust in someone who can fix the problem. Did I hear an amen or did somebody burp? What was that? Okay. I live in the right neighborhood. I got the right label on my purse. My kids go to the right school. And I'm a leader in the church. So we're self-sufficient, we're self-important, and because of that, um, we become or think we become worthy of self-exaltation. And uh, everyone, look at me. Tell me how great I am. Now, I, everybody loves to be affirmed. I get that. I love verbal affirmation. It's a blessing. Frankly, I, you know, I'm probably addicted to it to a point of sin. So I'm not talking about that. But self-exaltation is something that's promised that out. Thinking too highly of ourselves inwardly, we'll call it the pharisaical mindset or attitude, leads toward outward action like comparison. Anybody in the house ever compared yourself to somebody else? Okay. Most of you are right with God. This is great. You know, comparison is the worst because you either come out on the side where, oh, I don't measure up and they're so awesome, or... I'm, I'm terrible, and I probably shouldn't be consuming other people's oxygen. It's just like this strange place that we go when we compare. Parents, now all our kids are grown now, so we don't do this anymore. But I have to tell you, there were times when Pam and I would look at each other, and parents, we just, we just compare all the time. We got these four kids. There's a bunch of little people running around in our house, and I have no idea what's going on. And I tried to stay sane, and she's amazing. She watched over them. She nurtured them. She taught them. She cared for them. And, and then we'd be somewhere. And this is, I can't even tell the story. It's so embarrassing. At church, 
And we'd see other kids, and him and I would go, you know, we're really, we really kind of suck at being parents. I mean, we just talk honestly with each other. But their kids, they're going to end up in jail. <laughs> Did you guys ever kind of do that? You know, it's like, eh, that's probably not the good approach to the whole comparison thing. Or maybe, you know, self-exaltation leads. I, I don't need God. I'm good. Um, in fact, I behave better than most Christians do, and that's a legitimate argument because I understand that. Maybe, maybe you're one that has the gift of criticism. Anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. The gift of criticism. It's like we can quickly identify what's not working well. Um, and actually, I think since the introduction of social media, which began a long time ago, and, and few of you would even know that there was a thing called MySpace at one time, but uh, I got to have a like, I got to have a heart, you got to share my thing because I need, I need, I need to be acknowledged and to be liked and to be approved and all that. And I don't send me email where I can't believe you went off on social media. My point is, it just ha provides another opportunity for us to hunger after a um, most of us probably don't struggle with the spiritual pride like the Pharisee, I suppose. Um, you know, you don't wake up in the morning going, hey, I'm killing it, you know. Because um, you know you know how messed up your life is. But there's a reverse spiritual pride. And this one's pretty sneaky. Because of the reality is we wake up every day and we know where we made missteps yesterday. We know where we fall short. Um, we know where we don't measure up. And then sometimes we try to convince ourselves, convince our family, convince God, and convince others that we're really kind of okay. We struggle to be okay. I don't know anything about like filters. I think they're things that you can put on your picture. So like I wouldn't look old and round. I put a filter on me and I just look chiseled. It can happen, I think. But, but people sometimes projecting, especially on social media, but it isn't just there. We want to project something that others are going to go, I accept you. I love you. You're good. And uh, I'd rather be rejected for what I really am than accepted for some facade. Can I get an amen there? Somebody say amen. I don't want to feel like, I don't know what I, I, I don't know where to stand, Johnny boy. I don't know what to do. Okay. It doesn't matter. Let us move on. So reverse spiritual pride. Sometimes it shows up like this. Someone comes up to you and say, oh, that thing you did the other day, or your, your lawn looks incredible. What a beautiful yard. And you deflect. Like, oh, instead of just saying, thank you. That is so kind of you uh, to say that. We deflect instead of just a polite thank you. So it's hard to receive a compliment. Another thing that I think happens with reverse spiritual pride is this little phrase, I could never. Say that out loud with me. I could never. And it goes hand in hand with, uh, I could never be used by God. I could never serve in the local church. I could never make a difference in the kingdom. I could never share my faith. And the problem with reverse spiritual pride, just like overt spiritual pride, is that position is all about me. And I got to tell you, I have to confess to you, 
I don't like life being all about me, and it is too much. I'd like, like uh, John the Baptist said, I, I must decrease so that he can increase. That's kind of how I want to live my life, but it's going to require Christ intersecting and doing something significant. So what would Jesus undo? Spiritual pride. Ultimately, when we are full of ourselves, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, or if you're taking notes and you don't want to write it down, well, I guess you don't have to do that either. When we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. Okay. I mean, the Pharisee says, I got it together. I'm better than everyone else. And then Jesus uh, kind of starts showing us a better way. Verse 13, but the tax collector, it's a wonderful parable that he's telling, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. I see some humility there, lots of humility. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and says, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. If, uh, if you're one who wants to get an injection of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and renewed energy, why don't you remind yourself before a holy God that I am undone. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I need to be healed. I need to be empowered. I need to be transformed or changed. Perhaps the Spirit of God will accomplish great things. The tax collector knew something that all of us, if we've drifted too far from this, we need to be reminded of this. Because the tax collector knew if God didn't show up, he was going down. And I tell you, if you've walked with Jesus for four days, four decades, or long, if Jesus doesn't show up in our lives, we're toast. We're not going to be the student he's called us to be, or the parent, or the spouse, or the child, or the church worker, or the missionary, whatever. If Jesus doesn't show up, and, and I for one want to remain in that place of... Um, vulnerability, you know, on the edge where it's like, God, catch me, catch me. There's no more terrifyingly wonderful place to live than when God asks you to do something you're certain you have no capability to accomplish. That's who you have to depend on for that. Verse uh, 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, Returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So why the Pharisee is full of spiritual pride, the tax collector like empties himself, acknowledges his nothingness, and it, it works. God's grace manifests itself, and he goes home justified. I think I mentioned this word earlier. There's this cool thing in the Christian journey called sanctification. It's just like a cool word that sounds cool, and it rolls off your tongue, and yay. But it's just this thing where once we give our lives to Christ, that over time, he continues to fashion us into his image, or the Father fashions us into the image of Jesus. Now, if we think that we're all fashioned up and that we got it all going on, it's pretty tough for the Spirit of God to work in us a transforming work. I think I've witnessed it in my own life, 
and have seen it in the years that I've had the privilege to pastor. So when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But the tax collector teaches us something. When we empty ourselves, we're in a perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Now some of you, and I think this is actually good news, came into church this morning at Westside already humbled by the circumstances you face in your life or the consequences of the choices, perhaps, that you've made. Already humbled. You're ready to be a tax collector. And maybe even declare with me, God, if you don't show up, I got nothing. Nothing. And the good news is that Christ wants to meet the humble. Christ wants to interact and empower those of us who are willing to say, I desperately need you in this situation or these circumstances or as I face the consequences of these choices. Because when we empty ourselves, we're in a perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Now, I don't know what kind of issues you're facing, nor am I going to ask you to stand up and declare them, but I do know that when we're faced with issues that we cannot fix, it becomes exhausting. Anybody try to solve your life's problems with your own power? <laughs> that works well. I don't know, maybe you have an adult child that's gone off the rails. I don't know, maybe you're in a financial mess and you don't know how to dig yourself out. Maybe your marriage has been rough for years and you've tried everything and you don't know how to make it work, let alone make it great. And it gets isolating when things are messed up. We don't know what to do and depressing and maddening. But if we cry out like the tax collector and just simply say, God, you owe me nothing. Everything that I have that is good, you've given it to me. I can't figure this one out. And God will probably whisper in your ear, it's about time you realize that. <laughs> because he wants to figure our stuff out. Okay. This is a good time if you have a pen to write something down. God wants to do something in us before he'll ever do something through us. It's good to be used by God. Don't misunderstand me. It's, it's noble to hunger for those things. But there are deep works that God wants to do within us and so he can glorify himself uh, through us. So we like the tax collector. It'd be so great if we'd live from the understanding that we got nothing. We didn't really bring a whole lot to the relationship with the kingdom of God or the family of God. And what I do have has all been because of his goodness. We can say to ourselves that whether the things we're involved in, we say are spectacular ways that God uses me or ordinary ways, we don't have to compare the spectacular or the extraordinary with the ordinary. The reality is that God has called you. He has equipped you. And he wants to be glorified through you. And I... I'm not going to ask who's thinking this, but I think the Spirit of the Lord is revealing something to me. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, that's so easy for you, preacher boy. You've been a pastor. You did all that schooling. So easy for you. But I'm just a stay-at-home parent. 
or I'm just a construction worker, or I'm just, can I put that to rest? When, when God is building his kingdom and he redeems a soul, there is no such thing anymore that I am just whatever that label is. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're a minister of the gospel. You're not just a truck driver or just a spouse. It doesn't happen that way. Did I make myself clear? Awesome sauce. Okay. Pride is about my glory, making my name great. Humility is about God's glory. So how do we empty ourselves? I have no idea, because I've been working on that my whole life. (laughs) Humbly, we go before the master. But I I would make this uh, suggestion for you today. You might consider it as an action step over the course of the week. When facing a decision, and, and it's significant, and you're unsettled about it, ask yourself this question. Is this about my glory, or is this about God's glory? Is this about my glory, or God's glory. Pride promises freedom, but it actually shackles us in a prison. So ridding ourselves of pride is like peeling an onion. Anybody ever heard that? You know, the layers of sin that we have, like peeling an onion. I was going to bring one to demo, but then I could not figure out how I was going to keep from weeping and how stinky it might be in here. Oh, it's empty. Does anybody have something I could drink? I'm serious. You think I'm kidding? Don't let me choke to death up here. I need some water or something. All right. Oh, you're the bomb. Thank you so much. Thank you. (coughs) That's probably not safe. All right. So the layers could be. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm going to go long, and that's a bummer, but that's okay. It's good to be together. Amen? It's good to be together. Layer one might be comparison. Layer two might be the I could never thing. And as God removes layer after layer, what happens is we actually don't look like the core of an onion. I'm serious. You don't look like an onion when he peels the layers. You look more like the Savior. You look more like Jesus. And isn't that the objective of our lives, that we might be transformed into looking a little bit more like the Savior, sounding more like him, treating our spouse as he might, and parenting as he might, and working with our coworkers as he might? And here in this assembly of people, the ecclesia of God, you know what? There's a billion, no, I'm not a billion, that's an exaggeration. There's 995 million. There's a lot of different opinions about a political stance, and it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, and he's the soon coming king. And our lives are to depict or display what living for him looks like. And another confession, I'm terrible at it, but with you, I want to get better. Do you want to get better at that? I want to get better at that, so 
So like Matthew 5.16 could possibly be said about our lives in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify whom? Glorify the Father in heaven. This whole thing, this journey we're on, I hate to disappoint you, it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about flawed people in this context, this community, loving each other in such a way, loving the Savior in such a way that a broken, hurting world that's looking on might say, those are some really weird people and I want to be with them. (laughs) We got the weird down pretty good, don't we? God is so good. God's called you, he's equipped you, and he will use you to bring glory to his name. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up because time is a ticking. And there's some people who are gonna step over here by the prayer banner. And, and I'm gonna ask just a couple questions of, of uh, respond, that you might uh, respond to. And depending upon how the spirit speaks to your heart, I challenge you in Christ's name, pardon me, to to take a moment to step over uh, to, to Mike and Kathy and allow them to pray for you. Because you might be real clear that, oh yeah, this layer has got to come off this part of the onion. Or maybe, here's my appeal, I was thinking, what's the big idea with this story, Tom? What are you, you going to challenge people with? And this is it. I, for one, commit out loud before you that I want to be more like the tax collector and less like the Pharisee. Is anybody on board with me? Yeah, there's a couple. Anybody else saying, yeah, I'm gonna be the coolest tax collector I can be. Because if we don't cry out to him and say, and I know you're not supposed to say this in church, but since we're actually in the cafeteria, I'm gonna say it. Cry out to him and say, God, sometimes I feel like I really suck as a follower of yours. I need your healing power. I need your redemption to continue to work in my life and my heart. And I don't want to be a cold religious Pharisee. So the team can sing, which is going to be awesome. And I, I challenge you, as you feel led... Make your way over so others can pray with you. If you make a decision today to follow Jesus Christ, it's the greatest decision you made in your whole life. But it's just the beginning. And then you get to watch him move in your heart. It's broken hearts that we have. And all of a sudden, we look in the mirror and go, that is a little more like Jesus than what I did the last time I looked in the mirror. So God loves you. The Lord gave his life for you. Pam loves you. I love you. They love you. You love each other. Let's pray, okay? Lord God, thank you uh, for your holy word. Thank you for this grand parable. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you stir in our hearts? Would you uh, rise up within us uh, with a degree of, of understanding, of repentance, of courage? to share what you're doing in our lives with those who may pray for us or those that we came to church with. Uh, Move in power and grace. Heal our hearts. Heal our hearts, Lord. For the purpose of bringing glory and honor to your name. That's why you saved us. Pray these things in Christ's name. 
Amen.